0: You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mescouta, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. Well, this past week uh, has been uh, just a, a bit of a roller coaster week for me. And, and a lot of it has revolved, honestly, around conversations that I've had with different people where I've, I've learned of things or events that I just didn't know had happened. Early in the week, I had a conversation actually with Pastor Adam, and he told me about a young couple who uh, him and I got to mentor at our last church uh, that honestly we were seeing kind of raised up and flourish before us, and they were excited to actually go out and to do ministry together, and Adam said, hey, did you hear they got a divorce, and she has walked away from the faith. In my response immediately to him was, What happened? What happened? And he said, I don't know. A little bit later in the week, as most of you guys heard, I read the news of the shooting in Indianapolis. Ten people dead. No clear motive, and my immediate question was, why would someone do something like that? Why would someone do something like that? And then just yesterday, I I read an article that was put out that said that there have been over 700 suicides within the military in the last year. 700 men and women in active duty or reserve or national guard roles determined that their life was so hopeless that it was better off for them to end it and I asked myself the question how could they believe that how could they believe that their lives were so hopeless how could they believe that there was no help in this world Church, last week I stood up here and I preached and we spoke and saw together about the words of life that our God speaks. That when God, our Creator, speaks, His words bring life out of nothingness. They take chaos and disorder and they bring about peace and flourishing. They are powerful words. And so if these are the words that our God speaks, how in the world could all of these things be happening? And the answer is that there is another voice that is being spoken over us as well besides the words of our God. And His words, that voice, they're not life-giving, they're not peace-bringing, and they are not Good. Last week we looked and saw that in the beginning God speaks, but in the beginning we also see that Satan, our enemy, speaks as well. And in order for us to hear clearly the life giving words of the Lord, in order for us to cherish His words, to find hope and comfort in His words, we must be able to recognize and reject. The words of our enemy. And so today as we look at Genesis chapter 3, this is what you need to know about our enemy when he speaks. It starts in verse 1 with the truth that he is smarter than we are. The story begins and says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Up until this point in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in the creation account, every conversation that occurred was was either by God or was directed toward God in praise and worship. As a matter of fact, the only other words that we've heard outside of the words of God are the words of Adam when he receives Eve as a good gift from the Lord and he worships, declaring that God and the gift that he has given is worthy and beautiful and wonderful. But now a new conversation is about to begin, and this new conversation God doesn't take place in. For the first time, words are spoken, and God is not the subject, the giver, the speaker, or the recipient. We're told of a new character in the garden, the serpent, who was more crafty. We're not told a lot about the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 and here in verse 1, except for the fact that he is one in the garden And two, more crafty or cunning or sensible or wise than anything else. We find out later in the book, and it's clearly given to us from Revelation chapter 12, that this serpent is Satan himself. John, the writer of Revelation in verse 9 of chapter 12 says, And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver... Of the whole world. We read elsewhere that Satan was an angel created by God that had rebelled against him and was cast out of heaven. We're told that his entire existence now is in opposition to the rule and reign and glory of our creator God. And the author of Genesis makes it clear really quickly how we should feel about the serpent interacting with Adam and Eve. He is more crafty, more cunning, more sensible, more intelligent, and more committed to his mission, which is opposed to the glory of God, than we are to ours. Satan, we're told in other places, was a guardian angel. As a matter of fact, he's referred to as the most beautiful and wise amongst the angels. And that he became so proud that he was led astray by himself. And that in his being led astray by himself, through his words led away scores of other angels in rebellion against God. Church, here's what I need you to hear up front. You're no match for Him. And if you don't believe me, just continue on in the story and you'll see you're no match for Him. Our forefathers who were without sin when they came to speak to Him were no match for Him. Without the presence of a louder, stronger Better voice in our life, we too will be led astray. He is smarter than us. But the good news is, he's not smarter than God. He was the most crafty of the beasts of the field that who made? The Lord God made. He may be superlative amongst all the rest of creation, but he is still created. His words come second. And like ours, his words are not ultimate. Church, he is smarter than us. And he speaks in our isolation. The story goes on. We're told that this serpent, more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. He said to the woman, Satan speaks to Eve in the midst of the garden, and this is important and tragic for two reasons. One, Satan shouldn't have been in the midst of the garden." Now this is, this is a sermon for another day, and unless you guys want to like just go Baptist revival and be here through lunch, we'll preach that on another day. But the man was given a specific task to protect the garden, and yet here is evil in the midst of it. But the second reason why this is tragic I want to lean in on, and that is Eve is alone, even though Adam is not physically far off. In the creation account, we're told that all things are good. As a matter of fact, when man and woman are made, we're told that they are very good. One thing is said to not be good in all of creation, that man would be alone. We have been meant to dwell in community together. We're meant to carry out God's commission together. We're meant to care for and serve and protect one another together. But as the serpent speaks to Eve, Adam is nowhere to be found. If you guys were here last Sunday, I told you the story of how I ended up with this brace on my hand. How in the midst of honestly despair and frustration and sin, I punched a door. Now what I didn't tell you is that I didn't plan on telling you that last Sunday until I woke up. My wife and I all week had gone back and forth and she had encouraged me to step forward, to be honest, to believe the gospel and to trust the Lord and to trust you. But every time I'd run into someone and they'd say, hey, what happened to your hand? I'd have a moment of shame and guilt and fear and doubt where I thought, I can't be honest about this. But Rachel, in her voice again and again, said, hey, your righteousness is not found in you. Your covering does not come from you. Your standing does not come from you. It comes from your Savior who loves you and has given himself up for you. It was her voice that the Lord used to drive me to that confession before you. It would not have happened save for someone else next to me speaking the truth of the words of God into my life. Satan speaks in our isolation. When we are alone, when we are disoriented, when we are confused, and when we have pushed out everyone else that can speak against him, it is then that he speaks to us. Church, you know what I'm going to say. If you've been to Mercy's Door three or four weeks, you know what I'm about to say right now. You must be in community and relationship with other believers who love you and love the Lord. It's true. Don't place yourself alone in the face of the enemy of our soul. Because let me show you what will happen. He said to the woman Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. He will accuse God, and we will believe him. The words of God are supreme above all other words. They were spoken first. They alone have the power to create, to bring life. Therefore, Satan does not attempt to primarily argue with the words of God. Notice what he does. He doesn't challenge the words of God. Instead, he just challenges the character of God. I love this phrase that he says in this kind of double negative. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Right? You can almost hear his words in our vernacular say something like this. Can you believe that God would say that? I mean, what kind of God would tell you not to eat of any tree in the midst of the garden? He, he, he questions God's intention in his authority. Why in the world would God ever put this rule in place, he says? Why would God restrict you from that, he says? Why would he ensure that you can't have good things, he says? Don't you think he's holding out on you, he says. He whispers to us, perhaps this God of ours can't really be trusted. Church, this is always the tactic of our enemy. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5, the Lord Himself says to the nation of Israel, What wrong did your fathers find in Me that they went far from Me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? What wrong did your fathers find in Me? The implicit answer here is that they didn't actually find anything wrong with God, but they thought they did. And this is again and again and again the tactic throughout all of history of how we are led away from the goodness of God by believing the lie I know better or you know better Or maybe God is holding out on me, or God doesn't know what he's doing, or God is absentee, or that God doesn't actually love me as much as I love him, or he doesn't love my kids as much as I love him, or he doesn't love my spouse, or he's not for me, or my comfort, or my joy, or my peace, nearly as much as I am. This is where we are weak. We know of God, but oftentimes we don't really know God. A few weeks ago, one of my boys was uh, playing uh, basketball, and at the end of a basketball game, his coach came up, and he talked to him for a minute, and then my son came over to us, and I could tell something was wrong, and I said, what, what's, what's wrong? And he said, my coach talked to me, and he said that a parent came up to him and told him that I was speaking in, in really mean and ugly ways to some of the other players. I said, did, did he tell you who said that? He said, no. And he said, I said, Is that, did that happen? He said, no. And so I went up to the coach afterwards and I said, hey coach, tell me about what's going on here because I know my son and I know he wouldn't do that. Now it turned out that the parent had gotten the message wrong, that he had gotten the kid wrong. But in that moment, without even having all of the facts, without being able to work through and reconstruct the evidence, my heart just immediately went to the child that I have raised for years. And I was able to say in that moment, even of my sinful children, I know them. The question becomes, when we hear the lies of our enemy, can we say to him, I know my God? That's not like him. I've said this from early on as I've pastored. You will do one of two things. You will either look around you at the storms of your life and based on those storms, try and figure out who you think God is. Or, you will know who your God is and you will look around you at the storms of your life and try and figure them out. It always goes in one of those directions. And the invitation for you and I is to look and see Taste and see, the psalmist says, and know that our God is good. Our enemy is smarter than us. He speaks into our isolation and he accuses our God. And then he misrepresents his words. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The Gospel writer John in chapter 8 says that Satan, by his nature, is a liar. I think when we hear that, we oftentimes think that his words will simply be the opposite of God's, that they will be so opposed, so over-the-top incorrect, that it will be easy To catch him in his lies. But Satan often speaks with just enough truth. Just enough that it sounds a little bit like God, but holds out part of what is true. Sometimes he speaks so close to what God has spoken. That we tend to believe him, and as we believe him, it leads us not into life but destruction. Satan makes two statements to Eve. He says, You won't die, and your eyes will be open, and you will know good and evil. Hear this both of those are true statements. He says, You won't die. When Adam and Eve eat of the tree, do they kind of do the movie like choke and then fall over? No, they don't. Now, what we will come to find out is what they now call life is certainly not what the Lord God intended to be life. But Satan is not caring about the quality or the core of their life. What he has said is technically true. And then he says to Eve, you will know good and evil. The tree would indeed let them know good and evil. But the rub was they already knew good. They had experienced good and nobody stopped to ask them whether or not they wanted to know evil. Or whether or not knowing evil would be good for them. The tree let them know good and evil and they did not immediately die. Can can you hear the slight shift in the words that Satan uses in order to trap Eve? He gives us pieces of the truth in order to deceive us. He'll tell us things that, like, like, these are good things for you. Sex, food, drink, and other pleasurable pursuits. But he won't tell you that you should pursue them within the design that the creator of those things have given us. He'll tell us that we must work and strive because our God is holy. But he'll also tell us that it's in our work and in our own righteousness that we will be saved and be okay and in relationship with God. He'll tell us things like sin is horrifying and destructive. But He will not tell you that your sin and your shame and guilt has been nailed to the cross. He will tell you that this world is broken. That it's less than. That it won't fulfill. But He will refuse to tell you that you now belong to a better kingdom that will absolutely fulfill. He will tell you that He can offer you rest, pleasure, contentment, and comfort. All the while hiding that there is a better rest. A better pleasure a better comfort, and a better contentment that the Lord our God gives to us. Church, hear this. Our enemy is a liar. And he is skilled into convincing us that he is right. His voice is smarter than us. It speaks into our isolation. It accuses God And it corrupts and misrepresents his words. But here's the really sad part. Eventually his voice will sound like our voice. Look at what happens next in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate After hearing the voice of Satan, notice who does the ultimate convincing. It's the voice of Eve that puts the final nail in the coffin. She sees that the fruit is a delight to the eyes. She sees that it is good to eat. And she convinces herself that it will make her wise. And so she eats Rachel and I just this morning and and just kind of digesting the last several weeks that I shared with you guys have been hard. We're just talking about all the lies that we have been believing and how often those lies come from our own voices. See, what we do is we hear the voice of our enemy and then we speak it to ourselves A pastor that I love and respect said, stop talking to yourself. Let the Lord speak to you. Don't let you speak to you. Because eventually his voice will sound like our voice. If you want to know what the voice of Satan sounds like, do me a favor when you get home. Take your phone out. Pull up the voice recording app, tell yourself good morning, and then play it back to yourself. That's what his voice oftentimes sounds like. It sounds like you. And you tend to listen to you a lot. This is why Scripture and community and other believers are so important It's why we need the voice of God in our life far more than we need our own. This is what his voice sounds like. Now let me show you what his voice causes. It causes hiding, fear, hurt, and blame. She eats, and it says she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The story goes on. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, he deceived me and I ate. These first five characteristics and qualities we've talked about, they give us clarity of how Satan speaks. But the final verses show us the devastation of what happens when he speaks. God's words are inherently good because he himself is perfectly good. Similarly, the words of our enemy are inherently and utterly evil. Because he is completely dedicated to evil. The devastation of Adam and Eve's sin is swift. It is complete and it is overwhelmingly destructive. First, Eve's sin overflows into Adam and he sins. And notice it seems that Adam needs no persuasion to join her in sin. Next, the obedience of the words to Satan's words by Adam and Eve. Take what the Lord had declared was very good, them and their bodies, and it turns it into something that must be hid. It causes shame and guilt. They need to be covered. Then, the most wonderful sound in the world the presence of God Himself walking near them becomes a terror to them. Then the people created to be like God and to carry out His mission and to be with Him, hide from Him. And then finally, even as the Lord God lovingly pursues them, rather than repentance they choose blame and denial it's as if every it is good it is good, it is, good it is good it is good it is good of genesis chapter 1 is completely and utterly and seemingly irrevocably shattered think back a few weeks to when we looked at the resurrection kingdom that's promised us in revelation And we stood together as we read the words that one day in the new heavens and the new earth there will be no more sorrow and no more pain, no more suffering, no more strife and no more death. All of those things come flooding in as Adam and Eve believe the voice of the enemy and rebel against God. It's literally impossible for us to overstate the impacts of this. And so if these are the consequences of believing the words of our enemy what should we do Right we must identify in our lives these lies that we tend to believe and we must reject them completely It would be right for us to stop right now and for me to simply ask you where are you believing in your life the lies of Satan You want to know what I was believing when I hit the door? That my life was hopeless? That my sanctification was done? That I couldn't even guard and protect my own marriage? That the Lord himself was absent and didn't care? So where are you believing it? Where in your marriage are you believing the lies of the enemy? Where in your work are you believing the lies of the enemy? Where in your parenting are you believing them? Where are you believing them in regards to what you think will give you joy in life? Where are you believing them in regards to your own sin and struggles And failures. Think about them, church, and hear this. They are lies, every single one of them. You know, when I first wrote the sermon, I ended there. And I ended there with a conviction that we must do better that we must identify these lies, that we must root them out, that we must cling to the hope of the goodness of God and His words alone. And then about 20 more times in the next day, I believed the lies that Satan spoke over me. And I found myself asking the question, how can I ever do this? What can we do? How can we win? What hope do we have in church? I pray if you've been here long enough, you know the answer. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's always been Jesus and it always will be Jesus. The hope we have is his victory and his power. There's an eerily similar story in Matthew chapter 4 about one person being attacked and tempted by our enemy. But it wasn't Eve. It was Jesus. Satan comes to him and he tempts him in the very same way. He accuses the goodness of God and he seeks to twist the words of God. He invites Jesus to doubt God's goodness. But Christ succeeds where we have failed. He perfectly trusts and perfectly loves, and perfectly obeys the Lord. And then he heads towards a cross, and he's hung there for us, where he defeats sin and death on our behalf. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, He who knew no sin became our sin so that we might become his righteousness. Romans 5 says that our faith in Christ credits to us His righteousness, which means that we strive and we struggle and we fight to the rejects the words of our enemy, all the while already having the victory of Christ given to us. We don't fight in order to win. We fight because, quite honestly, Church, we've already won. When our Father looks at us, He already says in light of Christ Jesus, Well done, my good and faithful servant. The words He spoke over Jesus at His baptism, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He speaks over every single one of us. We don't fight to win. We fight because Christ has already won for us. We find power in His victory and we find power in His Spirit. Christ was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the Spirit. And it was the Spirit that sustained and anchored Him in the midst of temptation. And He has given us that very same Spirit. For all the talk of the Holy Spirit and His work and His role... You know what Jesus said his primary role was? To remind us day in and day out of what he, Christ, God in human flesh has said. He exists in our lives to shout louder than the rest of the world and the enemy of our souls what is actually true. What is actually good and what actually gives life so we must ask him all the more speak louder speak without ceasing and give us ears that will hear church listen there is another voice that speaks in this world and it speaks in our lives and it has caused destruction and death and chaos but hear this church It's a conquered voice. It's a voice that has been stripped of its power. It's a voice that at its heights can only drive us towards the grace and mercy of our Lord. He speaks lies because he knows the truth is bigger and better than him. And so, church, by God's grace, may we be a people not of words of death, but a people of the words of life. Pray with me.